0: And when you say, you know, treat the person, we actually, it's funny in the back of movement as medicine for my staff, like the other therapists that I have here, I have like a list of things for them to think about every day. And one of the ones on there is treat the whole person and don't treat just the injury.
1: This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solprey skincare for athletes. Whether you're in the gym, on the mats, on the road, or in the pool, we protect your skin so you're more comfortable in your own body. To learn more, go to SoulPre.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guests today, that is with an S, it's plural. I am lucky to have two people here to speak speak with me today, Um, include co-authors of Functional Training Anatomy, this nice book here, um, one of the guests, certified functional strength coach and certified massage therapist Kevin Carr, as well as his co-author of Functional Training Anatomy, a former Division One soccer player, she has her PhD in teaching and administration is currently an assistant professor of strength and conditioning at Springfield College. Mary Kate Fight, welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for having
2: me. Yeah, thank you.
1: Thanks for joining me. Thanks for making the uh, adjustment to Skype. Um, for you listening. Uh, you get to just listen on whatever platform you'd like to listen on. But we have to deal with all of the intricacies and annoying uh, technicalities of using Zoom or using Skype and recording and editing and doing all this stuff. So um, you don't know that uh, they're both uh, nice enough to uh, accommodate me and uh, help us all get recorded and have a good conversation today. So thank you again for making the jump over last minute. It's always tough sometimes trying to schedule everybody, especially when we're doing now three people <laughs> scheduling across time zones. Um, so I guess I'll jump right in a bit. And the thing I always kind of wonder about since your co-authors is how do you decide to co-author a book instead of just being like, all i right, right, I'm, I'm doing my own thing. Like I'm doing my book and then they can do their book and the heck with it from there like how do you how do you negotiate who does what that you're even gonna put together a book to begin with um, how does that process work
0: um, I think it's kind of the model that human kinetics uses for these anatomy books if you have you see these they have these like anatomy in motion series kind of covering everything from like a functional training like ours uh, or basketball or hockey or football and what they tend to try to do is find Um, someone who's an author or a coach and then they try they want to have someone uh like a phd attached to the project and so mary kate and i both come from the the mbsc microbial strength and conditioning kind of coaching tree family and so it kind of worked out that we could we could team up for this project um that they they were kind of looking to put something like this together and so this was a natural fit you know someone who was kind of uh, Mary-Kate, who's who's in academia at Springfield College, and then myself, who actually I work at Mike Boyle Strength Conditioning as a strength coach. So I think we were kind of a a, a good match uh, for the project.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I'll piggyback off that. Um, I mean, I, I tell everybody Kevin's really the star of the book. I was just there kind of supporting him through the journey, um, which was exactly how I wanted it. Um, so we definitely, we work, you know, nowadays you work everything through a computer, through a shared doc with comments and, you know, feedback and whatnot. So Kevin would take the lead on sections and then he would send them to me. I would provide him as much feedback as I could. He would go ahead and make adjustments. And then we kind of moved on from there. So it was really, you know, at the beginning, you know, obviously a little complicated who's doing what and how, but once we figured out our system, it was very, very smooth. So then
1: with, with, the content of the book, because I always wonder—you know, this isn't the the first time this uh, publisher sent me a book. Um, it, I always wonder, like, who decides? Is did they approach you and say, like, we need a book like this, or like, Kevin, are you coming up, or Mary Kay, are you coming up with the idea and saying, I'd like to do something like this? Like, nobody else is is doing this book. I always just kind of wonder, like, how how does the the idea, or the you know the the genesis of the book happened because I'm sure both of you can write about a, a number of topics. You could you know kind of niche down and say I could write about this, but like what you know what gives birth to this particular topic with you guys?
0: Yeah, I mean this was actually an interesting uh, process because Mike Misia from uh, Human Kinetics reached out to me as the acquisitions editor and kind of had a few different ideas about different book projects that they were looking to put together. And um with a couple of uh volleys of emails back and forth, we we came into this functional training anatomy idea and it, it goes really hand in hand with the certified functional strength coach course. So if people have been to our CFSC course, we kind of take people through the training program then we use it like bullish strength conditioning from foam rolling all the way through uh conditioning. And this book was kind of like an anatomy adjunct to that, that kind of explaining, you know, what we were training in those exercises and what why we were selecting those exercises and what we were targeting. And so that when we were discussing different book topics, I thought well, this would be a perfect opportunity to kind of have uh, another accompanying text to, to the courses that we are teaching. And they, it would kind of fill the niche and a need for a book for human kinetics as well.
2: I think Kevin nailed that,
1: so I'm gonna like keep going. Um, It's as I went through the book. It's one thing that struck me is that there's been, and I haven't been alive quite this long. I don't think either of you have either, but you know, coming through like '60s, '70s onwards to now, it's like there's a shift from you know isolated lifts to more functional training. So I kind of wanted to ask you guys more about that. I kind of live in the endurance world, so it's like, you know, we're more functional approached. But so I have like, you know, just a a like a little bit of a touch point with it, but you know, not very deep knowledge. So what's the journey uh, in the field kind of changing from? What I would consider like the bodybuilder Arnold Schwarzenegger approach to fitness that kind of blew up when he was big to now focusing more on you know functional skills and functional training. Um, I know I've forgotten his name at the moment, but it'll come to me later. Um, is a downhill skier. He was talking about the camps he does with his skiers and how they work on all these different kind of movements and skills to get almost I want to say like random kind of movements that are useful into muscle memory. Um, so, I'm just curious, both your thoughts, opinions, um, knowledge on the history of, of the development of like strength training and, and why we're kind of moving this direction. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah.
0: Um, I mean, if you think about like all of our thoughts and beliefs on strength training are kind of initially influenced by strength sports, right? Like powerlifting or bodybuilding, um, or strongman, right? That's usually, that's kind of like the foundation for where a lot of people learned about strength. But then I kind of, as we progress to thinking about over time to preparing people for sports or just preparing people for life, like, I think we want to clarify that like the, our choice of exercise is based on our intended outcome, right? So I think for a long time people just cho- used the same tools that we used for bodybuilding and for powerlifting and those were really appropriate for those outcomes but then as we start to you know uh, evolve we want to start to think about okay well what is the the tool that i really want for the optimal carryover and i think that's really what functional training uh
2: speaks to yeah and i would um, I know I always tell people I have the I'm the luckiest person in strength and conditioning because, you know, my career started literally at the age of 13 when I started training at MBSC. Um and, you know, I talk to I'm in my late 30s and I talk to people who've been in the field as long as I have, and they talk about the olden days when they did this or that, and there were these awful training methods, right? Um but I didn't have that. I mean, I can tell some stories about some stuff we did at MBSC back in the day that we probably wouldn't do now. Um, mm-hmm. But for o- overall, like MBSC has evolved, but like those general concepts remain the same, you know. Um, so I've been lucky that I've always kind of been on that track. But again, I talk to other people, and they're talking about you know reading magazines and then doing a bench cycle, you know, or meeting up with you know the old guy at Gold's Gym and learning about bicep curls and. Um, So I think you have seen this evolution. I was lucky that I was, I think I was right on the beginning of the wave um, so that I saw it right away. Um, But there's definitely been a change over time. What I see that I really like the change is that it used to be thought that older people should use machines, right? That they should. And I think that's something that we're really seeing a transition now, especially in the last 10 years of like realizing that just because you're old doesn't mean you need to me- use machines. You can use free weights too. And I think that's the best uh, evolution that I've seen recently is this acceptance that like, you know, even people who would consider elderly, they can use their body weight and use free weights. And that's more effective than, you know, sitting and using machines.
1: I think it kind of begs the question a little bit. And in, in, in some ways it's, it's kind of addressed in the book, but is there any room for or purpose for like isolated movements now where like I know uh my father who is in his late seventies now he like his fitness thing is he'll get all the bench and do bicep curls. Like that's his, his go-to move um in, in you know where he's working out in his basement. If you're listening dad I love you. Uh, but hopefully you can maybe learn something. Uh, so but is there you know is there any room for that? Is it does it play a part anymore? Or should we just say it's a relic of the past and we, we move on?
0: Uh, I mean, it's one of those things I always tell you, like, it, it won't make you any worse. It just might not get you to right where you need to go. And I think with fitness, the battle is always time. That's our, our most valuable asset. Like, you know, how much time can we devote to exercise? And with most people's case, it's maybe two hours a week, I would say the average client. So if I'm spending, you know, 20 minutes doing arms, uh, each time, then I'm probably not getting everything that I could get out of that to to get where I need to go. And that's especially for athletes. Uh, people who are trying to develop themselves for sports. Uh, you just have to be really efficient in your usage of your time in the weight room or, or in out on the field, trying to get prepared. So I always tell my athletes like, Hey, you can get your arms in at the end. After we get our conditioning, you come right back in and you can run the rack. Cause I mean, there's nothing wrong with uh, with training for some aesthetics. I think as long as you're doing all the other stuff you need to do, have your meat and potatoes before your dessert, so to speak.
2: Yeah, for sure.
1: One of the things um, I liked in the book, and I, I want to know, is it, was this something the uh, that Human Connect said, "Hey, we want this," or was this something you guys said, "This is what's needed"? Is that you know the the exercises aren't in isolation; they're Okay, this is what they are, this is how they do them, this is what they affect. And this is the purpose of doing it. Cause I think that's I know for me and, and a lot of people, it's like, like like let's go back and talk about bicep curls. It's like, why the hell am I doing this? Like what like what benefit am I gonna gain out of this? And and I think it makes it a little easier to use the book too if you come from basically no background and you can go. Oh, like this is the actual purpose of this, so therefore this exercise might be useful. Was that something you guys came up with, or that, you know, Human Connect said it would be nice if you included this?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, they, we kind of discussed what would go in each section, and I think the the purpose or like that functional focus section was intentional because, I, I, again, like if we're going to define functional training, I say it's purposeful training. Mm-hmm. We're pick t- picking exercises to get to a certain outcome. And uh, we always reference the book, Start With Why, uh, from Simon Sinek, which is like it's in our book club here at MBSC. Um, one, for our coaches to find their purpose for coaching, but also for them to have clarity on programming. Like, we always audit the program and say, like, there's a reason that everything's in here. It's not just, you know, we're selecting something that we like and putting in there. So I think it's important in the book that we took the time to put explain the why between each, each section so they could understand the value and the carryover from, from each exercise.
2: I like that you pointed out the functional piece as well. Um, that was kind of my favorite piece of, you know, all the writing that I would get from Kevin is looking at how he was able to incorporate it in there. And, uh, my mom probably bought like 10 copies of this book, I think, and <laughs> sent them to her friends. Um, so my mom used to train with Kevin too. So she's really invested in yes. the book. Um, but she sent it to all her friends and they'll send me back and they love that piece. Um, so speaking as someone who's spoken to people who are reading the book who are in their late 60s, uh, they love that functional focus piece and seeing why this matters oh. and why I should do it because if they're going to invest their time into it, they want to know why. Um, yeah. So yeah, that is absolutely my favorite piece, you know, of all the chapters.
1: Well, that's the thing that sometimes it, it it's very useful for like Either you guys, if we go into like a really deep dive anatomy or physiology book, and there's all this information and you can make use of it. But then, so someone like me or someone less knowledgeable than me, and not that I'm not very knowledgeable, but you know, I've, I've been around a minute, so I know a, a few things. Um, I'm not scared of the book. Uh, it, so, someone like me or someone less knowledgeable, it it, it gives it an ability to, you know, jump in and figure out why I'm doing it versus if we're gonna go into you know a heavy manual, a thick manual where it goes, okay, here's all these things, and you're like, okay, yeah, but I want to be able to kick a soccer ball better. Like how do I how do I kick a soccer ball better? And you can go in, you could probably find the right exercises to do that movement. And, and it makes sense instead of going, okay, well now I have to learn about you know how the knee is connected to all these ligaments and the tendons and the muscles and which muscle groups I need—it just, you know, it breaks down and makes the the entry point a little bit easier, which I thought was nice, since, you know, the other direction is—I'm uh, sure both of you have experienced this—if you're in like a, a course of some kind. I was a math undergrad, and my first 400-level math course, the professor taught it like it was a graduate course, and just no consideration for where we were just like, this is what it is. And here you go. <laughs> it's so daunting to be presented with that. So, uh, I guess I'll just say a collective thank you, which I think, Mary-Kate, you've already gotten from people for including that to, to make it you know manageable for somebody who doesn't really have as deep a background.
2: Yeah. And I think when you read towards the end, and you start to see like how you put it all together, you know, it gets to a point where you're like, okay, I need to plug in an upper body exercise. Let me go to that chapter. Let me pick one. Okay. I need to plug in a lower body exercise. Let me go to that chapter. Let me pick one. Um, So it kind of almost becomes, it helps you create kind of a menu of what exercises Mm -hmm. you're going to do to create one of these, you know, functional workouts.
0: And and it's actually, it's a kind of a callback. Mary Kate definitely remembers this. Like at NBSC, we used to have a whiteboard and all the athletes would have their sheets and they'd write, their exercises in for the day before we were using like Excel sheets, they had like their cards. And that's like what I think of when I see that chapter is like going to the whiteboard and writing in your upper body exercise, writing in your lower body exercise, because then you can, it's almost like paint by numbers for the the person who's learning how to build a strength training program for themselves. And so, like you said, we wanted to be able to make it as a reference where they could understand how to build a program based off the pieces we gave them and, and start to understand the overall concept because most young coaches um or people who are just recreational athletes who are taking care of themselves they gotta start somewhere um, and, and this is a really good kind of starting place for them
1: the uh, and this is where I think human kinetics come in, but the doing all the illustrations too is is very nice because you just I know this is a sidestep, but I know like if i if I'm injured or something, I'm always like trying to look at anatomical models and then drill down like where it hurts on my body versus what it looks like on uh, the anatomical drawings I'm looking at. And like trying to understand all the intricacies of what's actually being used, what's being used for the certain motions, why it might hurt, is always tough. So like having that visual representation in, you know, each of the, the exercises and going, oh, I'm actually using, you know, because like Going back to my 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 soccer ball kicking example, you know, I mentioned I'm just using my leg, so how do I use my leg? I just need to make my leg stronger. It's like, well, yeah, but you're forgetting that you're using, you know, your core and your obliques and like there's this twisting motion and there's all these other muscles that are being used that you don't think about. So like that's it's a nice way to think about that in and, and understand it so intuitively quickly that you know they could include that for you guys instead of just Reading through things and trying to communicate three D and time sensitive information like it's emotion motion in just text because that's always difficult.
2: Yeah,
1: I go ahead.
2: Um, I was going to say I think that's something that's changed over time too. I can remember the first time I had like an anatomy strength training you know book, you would see an exercise and it would point out that one muscle it was working right, yeah. which we've learned that's not really the case. It probably working eight muscles, right? Um, So, I think that hopefully people can take a lot out of the book, just looking at those pictures and being like, wow, each one of these does a lot of things. This is not just working my hip flexor, right? So, um, I think having, again, that image or understanding that it's like more movements, it's not just one muscle that's working at a time.
1: Mm -hmm. So, I guess... The the question Kevin is, are you gonna make a video series to go along with the book? Are you showing all the movements and you're you're doing all the models and then we we'll, can we'll, we'll, like break you down and like show all the the yes. muscles just like the book to, you know has going on.
0: Yeah, well I'm a, I am working on um a, a video kind of project with CFSC that's gonna go through a lot of the anatomy concepts. Okay. Um, and if you're familiar with the company uh, Muscle in Motion, they have like a lot of Instagram videos and and working with them to do it as well to help highlight like like hey if we go through a, a single leg squat what are the frontal plane muscles that are working what mm-hmm. are the uh, sagittal plane muscles that are working so to like what like, like mary kate said if you went to an old book it might just show on a single leg squat like quadricep and glute right mm-hmm. but in reality a lot of the value in that exercise comes from you know glute medius and the adductor as well as as stabilizers and so being able to call the attention that. So, yeah, that is something that, that we're, this is actually the video studio that I'm sitting in here, uh, working on filming some of those things over the next couple months and, and collaborating with them so we can highlight the, the muscles on there. So, hopefully that'll be coming up soon.
1: That's the, like I said, that's the nice part about having the, the actual drawings, and then video obviously takes it to the next level. Um, there's just something, because of the way we perceive information, um, there's just something nice about just seeing it, and then obviously watching yourself. I know I was doing um, what was I doing? Single leg deadlifts, and my wife was like, "I don't think you're doing those right." And I was close, but not quite. And I hadn't, I hadn't, I like, I'd started doing them, but like, I hadn't been watching myself do them, and hadn't realized, oh, like this is a little off. Like, you know, you need to move that a little bit. And so once you can see somebody else do it, and then see yourself do it. Like, that's so much quicker than trying to go through. Like, if you just, you know, verbally explain to me this is how it's done when that may not click. So, that's why I kind of want to give you a hard time about the videos, but it is nice that you're actually working on that. Yep. Yeah. Um, my most pressing question for you guys today uh, is a personal one. And I, I want to know because I have terrible posture, although I, I try to work my best when we're on video. Can I fix? My terrible posture with strength training. like can I just like work out my back muscles really well and like Im- improve my posture? This is something I've been struggling with for a <laughs> long time. Um, and I have never found the, the right answer. So it says I have you guys captive. I'll, I want to see if you could help me.
0: Well, this is what I always say is because like I, I I mean I work as a, a massage therapist in like rehab corner. so I, I have the posture question all the time. And like I would say the best posture is a changing one. Um, because like we're meant to move. And mm-hmm. so, you know, don't get, I would say, don't get stuck up on what you look like on a plumb line. When you turn sideways and you're like, <laughs> Oh, my head's a little forward. My shoulders are back. Cause if it was easy as just doing a bunch of rows and your shoulders went backwards, like we'd, we'd be able to like change how people look really easy. But yeah. what I tell people is we want to, if we can keep all of our joint spaces healthy, like move your neck through a full range of motion mm-hmm. multiple times a day, move your shoulders through a full range of motion. Uh, once a day, move your T-spine all the way through, then we're able to maintain joint health, right? And usually people complain about posture because like their neck's stiff or their shoulders stiff uh, or their back is stiff. And so uh, continually going through a joint maintenance routine and then breaking up your time when you're sitting, uh, because we're we're really adaptable to the positions that we're in. You're going to find what is probably the most um, energy efficient position, which might not be the best long-term position for how you feel, right? Mm -hmm. Like Crunching over the desk. And so, being able to set times, uh, movement breaks into your work day, if you're someone who's very seated very often, say, okay, I'm going to get up in 25 minutes and move my neck, move my shoulder, move my hip, and then just participate in a full body strength training routine that's pretty balanced. And that's kind of, kind of help you build the capacity to get through your day. If you're someone who's seated, I always say, like, uh, the, the working with the average like desk jockey they have to prepare and be fit enough to get through an eight, 10 hour workday sitting down just like an athlete does. And so that means developing core stability, developing upper back and shoulder and postural stability through your neck. And by doing things like basic stuff, pushups, planks, um, core exercises, um, so that they don't fatigue throughout the day because you, again, you search for the most energy efficient position, which is typically Mm -hmm. hunched over. So you keep moving.
1: (laughs) Okay. Okay. The majors that I asked actually is I I like, I tweaked something on my back when I was swimming, and it was a rest week, so I like I wasn't even moving that hard, and I I didn't oh. notice it till the next day, and then it was like swollen, and it just I've got tape on my back now, and just the most bizarre thing. I have never had anybody actually like help me fix what's going on. It's been an issue since college, though, and it is very rarely severe. I always felt like I play the violin. I always felt like it came from that. Where, like, you've got your hands up, and then I have this long, annoying neck. And so I'd be like crunched to hold the thing. And then that, you know, that tightens all these muscles back here because you're not supposed to do that. It's supposed to be relaxed, but because my neck is too long, it's a whole thing. Um, And I keep searching for answers because I'm like, it's got to, somebody's got to be able to help me fix this. Um, So, you know, when I have you guys captive, I just say, maybe I can get something out of you uh, that will lead me down the right path. And maybe give something to you guys to think about because I don't know that I don't know how many violinists you work with but <laughs> it's something it's different.
0: interesting actually I have uh, a violinist and a cello player okay and it's all neck shoulder scap arm yeah. type stuff and it's like it's like with any sport you start to adapt to the sport if you look at pitchers they tend to lose internal rotation on their throwing shoulder and they gain a bunch of external rotation on the throwing shoulder right as an adaptation to repeatedly, throwing so it makes yeah. them better at what they do but when you as you start to go down a path of specificity into any activity whether it's throwing a baseball or playing the violin there's probably other uh other compensations or other uh things you're going to sacrifice right and so maybe for you it's rotation of your your thorax one way or rotation of your shoulder one way so i always like say we got to start to start to kind of find out where where we want to have you. You got to like work on moving the other shoulder, work on uh, specific shoulder mobility to try to kind of offset that over time.
1: So, um, this is for you specifically, Kevin, but Mary-Kate, I'm hoping you could maybe comment as well. Ask about uh, your hoodie, which is on my list anyway, your movement as medicine, um, I think is an interesting idea. Um, as a concept, before you describe it, I'll probably agree with it. But I kind of like to know more about what it is specifically. But as a concept and a thing where I think business for you. Um, so could you tell me a little bit more about it? Yeah, it's funny. So it's actually as Medicine, is the name
0: of my massage and rehab business that's actually attached right at Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning. And it's funny, the name Brendan and I got, Brendan Rerick and I went to UMass Amherst together and studied kinesiology and our professor um, in exercise 110, Barry Braun was our, uh, our professor. And he wrote an article about um, exercise and diabetes uh, management in the, the, the reference in the article that he quoted used was movement as medicine. And so Brendan and I were like, I love that name and went well, after we went to massage school we were working in mbsc and we wanted to open a business that name still stuck with us so we, we we used it as our business name and because what i tend to think of here is what i do as a therapist is i don't want to be i don't want to make the the, the client an a, a passive participant in the process i want it to be an active rehab process for them so what i mean by that is i don't want them to just be like hey you're going to come rub my leg and then I'll, I'll be better and that's the mindset unfortunately that a lot of a uh, lot of patients have when they come in to get treatment. And so I try to explain in the beginning, like, yes, there might be some passive modalities like massage work that I might do, but much of the process of getting better and feeling better is going to be solved by exercise by you. Because most of the time people end up in my clinic uh, due to you know, a lack of fitness in some regard, whether it's, they don't have enough hip mobility to, run and play the sport they want, or they don't have the overhead mobility to play tennis and then their neck hurts. It's always about kind of solving those issues. So we're always tracking people from the massage table to the mobility section over to strength training. I say ultimately, it's a success for me if I can just refer you out to the gym and you can start training in a group or training with a personal trainer, and you don't have to see me week in and week out anymore. And so like that's kind of the overall theme that we wanted to have in here, um as opposed to just kind of traditional massage um, in rehabilitation.
2: Yeah. And I think, I mean, they really fill a, kind of a gap that's needed. Um, often you go to a massage therapist or you go to a personal trainer or, you know, maybe you go to a physical therapist, but, um, but then you need, you know, a referral and all those other, you know, barriers that are in the way. And again, I'll bring this back to my mom, who I'm sure is Kevin's favorite client ever. Um, but when she, a couple years ago, she started having joint pain, you know, and she'd always been really healthy and, she was like I think I'm going to start going to the gym again and I was like and she's like because she had been doing workouts at home that I had taught her when I had lived there 15 years ago you know what I mean and I was like you really need someone to watch you mom you know and in thinking about it I was like well what does she need well like she definitely needs some massage work she definitely needs um some prehab stuff or rehab stuff she definitely needs some strength training and reflecting on it, that's how I ended up sending her to Kevin uh, purposely, right? I was like, you're not just going to Joe Schmo over at this gym. Let's figure <laughs> out something that's going to work, you know? So, you know, she drove 45, 50 minutes to go get a training session in, you know? And I think, you know, that was, you know, obviously I looked for a place that I trusted, but also I don't think she could have found something closer. So I mm-hmm. think that it's, it's a model that's needed. Um, and I don't think there's enough of them out there. Um, I know I have a lot of students who are interested in this kind of model. They're like, kind of want to go to PT school, but they're not sure they do. Uh, they like the strength training and they're kind of in this like gap world um, that I think Kevin's business really fills. Um, that I hope, you know, I don't want him to have too many competitors, uh, but <laughs> there becomes more gyms like it or more facilities like it um, to help, you know, people get. You know what they need, rather than just going, you know, to a group fitness class that's not going to address the needs that that person has as an individual. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a great model. We need more of them.
1: Yeah, I think the light of thinking is is interesting. And I, I, although I don't specialize in what you do, Kevin. Uh, you know, I think about like my company and what associated with the podcast, and, and like how do I treat people? And I realized it only like recently solidified my mind that, oh, like I- I'm trying to treat people as whole athletes or whole people, not just like this individual thing where it's like, it's where let's, and that's kind of the theme of the podcast in, in some sense is like, let's not just talk about like, have you guys come on and be like, okay, I run, tell me how to run better. Let's talk about exercise. Like that is a component, obviously. But then there's like, there's the mental component, like, are you stressed out today, and like, how you know, how does that feel? And then, you know, in your case, Kevin, are your muscles tight? Let's massage them. But also, you need to work on like this amount of mobility and this flexibility and the strength. Like, the whole athlete. Um, it, it seems like there. I'm sure the idea has been around for quite some time, and maybe it's a simply a matter of like self fulfilling prophecy, or that's not quite what I'm after, but. You know, like when you're in the market for a certain car and you see that car everywhere. Uh, so maybe it's like that, where like I'm kinda in that mindset now, so I'm starting to see it everywhere. But I kind of feel like that more I'll say like holistic approach is growing a little bit where it's it's not just reserved for like like woo-woo mystical experiences in Colorado where you're they're talking about what I consider Hokum. It's actually let's apply the science from various fields and treat you as a whole person. So um, did, Kevin, was that, like, the genesis of that was that, you know, something you started with kind of growing up? Is it something that just kind of sparked at some point? You know, where where is that wanting to marry those things? Where does that come from?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of grown holistically. I mean, I'm, I'm like Mary Caton, that my first experience working in fitness and strength and conditioning other than like when I worked at Gold's when I was 19 years old was Mike Boyle's strength and conditioning. I interned here when I was 20 Mm -hmm. and I'm still, I'm here now. And so I was very lucky that I started in the right place because I probably saved myself a lot of time and frustration. And I saw what like a holistic functional training program looked like. So it kind of opened my eyes to what training could be. And I saw people getting better, like people with back pain coming and working out and getting better. I saw people um, who were coming off some sort of surgery or some sort of uh, accident and getting better and using strength training as a tool to heal people. And Brendan and I kicked around the idea of physical therapy school. I talked to um, some physical therapists I knew. I talked to massage therapists. I talked to Mike. I talked to strength conditioning. And then also the economic decision of going to massage school was also part of it because I was working full-time here. And I was like, okay, how am I going to pay for this and do this part-time? So we do nights. So it kind of was all holistic. And when I talk about Good timing. I mean, at the at the same time that Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning was expanding, we got out of massage school, and there was this extra office space next door that was unaccounted for. So, uh, me with zero business acumen at all, just said uh, Mike and Bob, we'll just start renting it and we'll figure it out. <laughs> figure it out. And so it was very it was holistic in that like I, we were in the right place. Like I, I, if I didn't have the foundation of training here and seeing the power that you know training a whole person could have that I wouldn't have kind of known how to put these pieces together. I might've gone a, a different route. And when you say, you know, treat the person we actually, it's funny in the back of movement is medicine for my staff. Like the other therapists that I have here, I have like a list of things for them to think about every day. And one of the ones on there is treat the whole person and don't treat just the injury. Um, and so you talk about like the psychological end of things. It's like sometimes my session uh, for someone who might be dealing with chronic pain is just explaining uh, them dealing with pain as opposed to me, you know, making them do exercises or me working on them because uh, we know pain is a pretty complex uh, biological and, and psychological process. So, getting them understanding the whole person and kind of where they're coming from is everything um, in, in managing pain. If it were as easy as it just being a mechanical uh, stimulus, we'd be able to get a lot more people better. There wouldn't be people with chronic pain for years. So, that's got to be the top of the list, I think, in both strength and conditioning, and rehab settings.
1: Um, the The idea, and you're kind of talking about clients, reminds me of a, a guest I had way, way back, uh, episode twenty-three. My name was Debbie Booth, uh, and she works with typically older clients and does like work in pools. So these are like climate clients with very limited mobility like sometimes can hardly even get them into the pool when they start and I remember her telling me about just you know thinking about movement as medicine like being able to get them in and having that assistance of like water in increasing circulation and doing all these things like these movements they haven't been able to do and you know who knows how long, and like how much that improved their quality of life and like. Being able to get some of them, being able to get them like to walk on their own without the assistance of a walker and these kind of things, and so that's that's where I wonder, you know, how do we like how do we get more kevins and distribute them <laughs> to to the people that need them, um, so that we you know we're not so ailed by our own lethargy is it or or you know our lack of mobility
0: yeah I mean education I mean to have more practitioners who are going to get people where they need to be like you want professors like Mary Kate who are in a position to educate young coaches to get them the right mindset coming out of school then you want certification programs that are going to educate about treating the whole person and managing uh health on a broader spectrum than just doing you know singular focused approaches to coaching so it starts really at the base level in, in so that people. Can Like I said, both Mary-Kate and myself, we had really, really good foundations to begin with. And so that's going to form how you think about developing programs for people going forward. So I think it's about, you know, getting the right people in places to, to educate.
2: I think to add on that, it's also, you know, the general population of that understanding that, you know, movement and exercise is as good as medicine. Right. So sometimes it's easier to pop a pill than go and invest an hour into training. Right. Or maybe it seems like too much of a financial investment to, you know, join some type of facility or become part of a program. Where that financial investment is going to pay off because you're going to be pain free the rest of the day or, you know, hopefully into the future, you know, so I think I know a lot of people ask me like, hey, can you write a program for me? And I'll be like, hey, can you do this, this and this for two weeks? And then I'll write you a program, right? Because I want them to show that they're committed to it, right? And if they're not committed to doing the things on their own, then they're not going to be committed to my program either. You know, so I think education, absolutely, you know, hopefully I'm helping to develop these future amazing coaches who are going to be able to provide these services, but also educating. And we do this a lot at Springfield. We have an exercises medicine uh, program where we try to teach about the importance of exercise to people um, and continuing to spread that, that, you know, this is a way to feel better and this is worth it. And even though you have to set time aside to go and train or do your exercises, setting those two, three, four hours a week aside to do that is going to be incredibly beneficial to the rest of your time.
1: I, I'm a big proponent of the idea that an answer prevention is worth a pound of cure. And so I'm wondering from from both of you, do you ever have to sell that to people in that that framework where it's like, Like, you know, okay, let's let's project out. It's like if you know, because as you mentioned, Mary Kate, they have to spend an hour. I mean, that's that's literally how we talk about it. We spend it. It's something I have that I spend, just like I spend money. And sometimes money is involved too. So it's like, I've got to spend this time, I gotta spend this money on this thing that oh, I don't really like it. But then, you know, it can hopefully help prevent maybe chronic issues or pain or or you know, problems, health issues down the road do you do you have to sell it that way? Do you sell it that way where you say like if you work on this now you're gonna be you know better off for it later because I feel I feel like a lot of people have trouble thinking about you know like I'm in my early 30s so saying, oh well 60 year old me will appreciate it like that it's just such a long time frame and we're so focused on like what's happening today. you know so I guess do you guys sell it that way? And 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 how do you get them to bite?
0: I I always say you're gonna pay now or you're gonna pay later, but you're okay. gonna pay one way or the other with time and money because um, that you're essentially you're investing like in your future, mortgaging your future. Like like you said, it can be hard for someone who's like twenty to think like the inputs that I start and habits I start now are gonna affect me later in life. Um, but I, again, continuing to getting people to understand that it's a, a lifestyle investment for long term. It, it, they, we know it pays off in the long run, um, as long as people are doing the right things and consistently applying them. so yeah, I mean, you always have to kind of kind of get people to understand that and I mean sometimes you have motivated clients and sometimes you have clients who aren't so motivated, and so you might have to kind of use that approach to get them to understand
1: Mayor Keith, are you I know you're you're you know working at the college um, and as we before we got going. Uh, before the recording talking about you know trying to work at home with kids are you are you still taking on clients too you're mostly working with students now because sure, you mentioned yeah. writing, writing training programs and then the you know the at at the, the program at the college
2: yeah so uh, 75% of my job is teaching classes um 25% is overseeing the graduate assistants who run our strength and conditioning program at the college um so I kind of supervise and mentor them um but then my husband and I we also have a, a company on the side. Uh, we've kicked it off mostly this summer, um, where we're training youth athletes in the area. Um, mm-hmm. I tend to I tend to do any of our personal training, high-end people, um, sometimes administrators or local important people I'll do one-on-one training sessions with. But then I also, um, was it just yesterday, we had 30 kids out on a field doing speed and agility, um, ranging from six years old to 16. It was awesome. Um, So I yeah, it was great. So I try to get my hands in and keep them dirty. You know, I think that's really important as a professor to still be doing it um, while also having sanity. Right. So finding that balance between still being in it. But, you know, teaching is my primary job. Um, But yeah, I'll take I'm pretty selective. I'll take like two or three personal training clients at a time um, and then do small group stuff, you know, when it's when it's fun for me, coaching is more more fun, more of a hobby right now than it is a profession.
1: So the, the thing I'm kind of curious about, and just it, it's, you know, I'm interested in people, hence I have a podcast. Um, but I, I'm wondering if either of you can think of any clients that come to mind if I ask you like stories about like most improved clients or or things that like you saw in really like. I'll say dramatic results and I don't I don't mean to play that up, but just you know, going back to like Debbie Booth and her she has specific clients that just even the things that happened with them surprised her because you know they bought into what they were doing. So I, I was just wondering if either of you had any clients you can think of that you're able to share about. Um, you know, I don't know what, what you can share or not share, and if you can't, that's perfectly fine. But uh just just a curiosity.
0: Yeah. Uh well it's I mean At MBSC, we work with a lot of kids as well as adults with a pretty mixed population. Um, And I I always reference this one story when I talk about coaching in that I had a young man come in. He was uh, about 14 at the time. He came in with his mother and he was really tall. He had grown almost 11 inches in a calendar year. Um, And so he was about, I think he was about six foot four, six foot five, and he was about 145 pounds. So he was Mm -hmm. very thin. Yeah. Um, and he, you, he came in with back pain. His mom brought him in not really to lift weights. She had uh, reached out and said, I think he needs stretching. He seems tight. And his back hurts. His hips hurts. He's not playing sports right now because he's in so much pain. And he had just grown so quickly. Mm-hmm. And so what happens when you grow that quickly, it's not necessarily that you need stretching as much as you need to get stronger uh, because your limb lengths are so long but your strength and stability hasn't really caught up. And the one thing I noticed about him is he wasn't very confident in himself either. Like he, when you're that tall, you see kind of see people kind of hunched down and they kind of keep themselves to make themselves smaller. And he was pretty quiet and over time myself and the staff, we kind of broke him in socially, uh, which was fun. And he started to get stronger. And when he started to get stronger, he started to get more confident in himself, like how he communicated, like he he would flex in the mirror. And over time, like he gained, he left here like almost hundred. He was around one hundred ninety pounds, which is still skinny at that height. But yeah. imagine he was like a whole another person, right? And so not only did he not have back pain, he I remember he had back pain, he had shoulder pain. That stuff was gone, but he was strong. He was playing lacrosse at his call co- at his high school. Uh, he was going to college, and he was into weightlifting. So now. Like for me, he didn't go and play a college sport, but now he always like taught, he sends me stuff on Instagram, like, oh, look at this workout I'm doing or like, Hey, have you seen this? So now like he has a love of working out. And so that's a, that's a win for me. I like, I don't care if he plays a college sport or professional sport. I care that he's healthy one, but two, that he's confident and passionate about something. And because of the experience he had here, he thought he was coming here to stretch and, and we, we wanted to get him lifting weights and, and, and getting fit. And so it, to talk about treating the whole person or training the whole person that was definitely an experience for me where I was like oh this kid had a pretty life-changing experience coming through our facility and and that's that's what it's about as a coach really
1: did you have to did you have to get him or his mom to to buy into it's not stretching that he needs
0: yeah a little bit i mean sometimes early on in the process like the parent drops them off and they're like hey i think you, they tell you what they think you they, you need to do right hey right. you need to do Stretching, you need to do these drills, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna, we're gonna work on that. We're definitely gonna work. on that. And then, then you maybe do a little bit of that, and then you, you give them a little bit of what you know they need. And over time, that as you develop a relationship with that those individuals, then they start to trust you, right? So, kind of building a foundation of trust with them over time, then it, you, you get
1: buy-in. Okay, I, I, that's that's the thing that always it kind of kills me is it's like when you know. Just enough to be dangerous, you know. I don't know if it's that or if it's if it's a parent thing. I'm not a parent, so I I don't know. Mary Kate, maybe you can comment, though. Though you're an expert, so it's it's a little different, I guess. But you know, I I would guess, and I don't know that that is probably not an unusual situation. Like you said, you know, people coming in and be like, "All right, Kevin, I need you to do this thing," and you're like. Okay, And then you're like, that's not the thing that we need to do to fix fix this problem. So it sounds like you're pretty tactful about, about dealing with that situation.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Fitness is an interesting field because all the consumers have some sort of casual experience with what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they have their own belief system that they've already formed based right. on TV and magazines and what they've done in the past. And so you don't go to get your car fixed and say to the mechanic, like, I think that this is what you should do. Uh, this maybe we should try doing it this way that you just trust them to do yeah. it because you have no idea, like really what needs to be done. Right. And so I think it's important. Um, one of my, the, my initial intake question, one of the ones I always ask is like, tell me about some of your past experiences with exercise. And so that way, you have an idea where they're coming from, because everyone's coming from some different background, or it could it be a positive one or a negative one. It mm-hmm. gives you an idea where they're at, and then you can understand how to speak to them to get them where you want them to be. And some people are easier to deal with than others and and uh, again, I, that's why I say to my coaches, it's just you got to build trust with people, and then they give you an opportunity to to teach them and and, and to bring them along.
1: Keith, can you think of any individuals that have good stories you'd like to share
2: sure so before i was at springfield college uh, my husband and i we ran a business with coach bobby smith in uh, new jersey called Veacher potential training and i was the adult program coordinator there so i saw our adult program and personal training and whatnot um and i became pretty connected and this was when i was a new mom too to a lot of the moms that joined our gyms and a lot of them were in that kind of like awkward stage where their kids were just old enough to start going to school and all of a sudden they were home by themselves from like nine to two. Right. And that they hadn't had that for years. Some of them had three or four kids. You know, they always had a baby they were taking care of. Um, so I can think of one specific individual that she came in and she felt like really guilty that she was coming in to train during that time because she should be devoting that time to something that her family needs. But they didn't need her. So there was this kind of like loss of identity. Um, loss of purpose during the day, guilt about not doing something for the family and just working with this individual and letting the, helping them kind of discover the fact that self-care is important, um, that by doing something for yourself, you'll actually be a better mom later. And, you know, I'm thinking of one specific individual, but like she was able to change her eating habits completely, stress levels. She picked up her own hobbies. She hadn't had hobbies in, you know, 20 years you know, and by doing all that, she started feeding her family healthier food. Um, Her daughters started seeing her run in, you know, like half marathons and do different competitions. So then all of a sudden her daughters were becoming more into fitness and, you know, just seeing that evolution at their, which I'm sure Kevin experienced, this is at MBSC, like we were training the kids in the afternoon, the adults in the morning, like you knew their whole family. You know, and seeing this evolution of how this mom was able to kind of refine herself and start to love training and fitness and nutrition, and to see the effect that that had on her whole entire family, um, was just awesome. And I think that was one of my favorite things about working at a, in the private sector was that you were really able to see how you could af- you could help um, assist a whole entire family in becoming healthier and learning to love. You know, strength training and fitness and eating healthy and all those other really great aspects.
1: That's a really cool story. Um, as we're starting to wind down on time, uh, there's a question I ask every podcast guest each year. So, each year I have a different question, but I ask it for the whole year. So, I'll ask you both, give you both a chance to answer. Uh, the question I'm asking this year is, how do you stay motivated after failing to reach a goal?
0: Um, I think... Being able to frame it as a learning experience and realizing, like, there's no set timeline, right? It might not happen right when you want it to happen, but being able to use that as a learning experience to build off and then get closer, right? Um, everybody fails. Like, there's nobody who doesn't fail. Like, some of us, like, I fail. We have many failures on a daily basis uh, as coaches. Like, not, sometimes the set doesn't go the way you want, or some sometimes the group doesn't flow as easily as you want. But then you learn, hey, okay, what do I have to do next time? Like yesterday with my my group, we have a bunch of new interns. Like we got a little bit of a traffic jam in the weight room. There was uh, we had we had them scrambling with a bunch of middle school kids, and then we grouped up afterwards. And I said, "Hey, um, so tomorrow when we take our group at three o'clock, I, I want to go out and this how I want things set up. I want to have you assigned to these coaches, you assigned to these coaches. I'll be I'll be assigned to these athletes, and we are we're able to kind of replan how we're going to go about it today. And I, I was going to run into that failure one way or another, probably." And so, uh, being able to us uh, be able to get better from it and then go out there today and do a better job, and us continually looking at it as a process, not necessarily an end goal. Um, and so when you think about in the terms of fitness, um, thinking about like, yeah, we all have mini goals, hey, I want to bench press this much, or I want to lose this much weight, or I want to um, do whatever, But thinking about it, this is all part of the bigger lifestyle change, like that Mary Kate referenced and understanding how can I make this as a uh, consistent practice in my life as opposed to just like I'm reaching an end goal.
2: Yeah, I'd love to piggyback off that. I think Kevin really hit on a lot of really important pieces. Um, For me as an educator, as I said, I oversee our GAs who are our strength coaches for our athletes. And before they train any athlete, they need to bring me their workout that they're going to do. And I need to look through it and approve it. Right. And when I do that, I see things that I think are like, meh, maybe not the best idea, right? But if I just stop them and prevent failure, they're not going to learn, right? So I make sure it's safe. No one's going to get hurt. Nothing awful is going to happen. No sport coach is going to call and yell at me because something bad happened. But I allow some things to go and I'll say, hey, I want you to really pay attention to this and reflect on it. And let's chat after and you let me know how it went, right? Right. And they go, they do it, they come back, and they're like, oh, that was such a bad idea. I should have done this, 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 and this. I go, great, let's make a change, you know? And so often I know it's coming. Hopefully none of them listen to this because they might not know it as much as I do. So don't tell Andrew, Kevin. Um, But often I just kind of let things happen um, because you're not going to learn unless you fail, right? Right. And I think you can even bring that back to your own health and fitness, right? Like you got to try something, you got to see how it goes, then you reflect on it and then you make an adjustment and then you try again. Right. And again, if someone's stopping you from failing, you're never going to learn and grow. You're just going to stay in this like little safety bubble, which um, is not where we want to be.
1: Both good answers. (laughs) Letting people fail, I think is interesting. my uh, one of my business mentors he always talks about you don't need to watch somebody fall off of a cliff to know you don't want to fall off of a cliff but sometimes I think people do need to fall off of a cliff to know that you don't want to fall off of a cliff it's as as nice as it is to think, oh just watch them and then go that's a bad idea it's just for whatever reason sometimes you've gotta experience and have that like that visceral reaction of like oh that was. That was not good. And then, <laughs> then it all comes back to okay, where do we go from here? So um, I think there's definitely something valuable in letting people fail in a controlled environment. You know, not a not a catastrophic falling off a cliff kind of situation. But uh, anyway, um, both of you, thank you for coming on. Where can people connect with either of you? You know, where can they pick up the book? Um, all that kind of stuff.
0: Um, the book you could get right from the Human Kinetics website. You go in there, right in Functional Training Anatomy. could also go to Amazon. Um, but I think Human Connects will like it if you get it from their website. Um, and then you can find me at uh, at Movement is Medicine on Instagram. It's probably the best place for training content or um, certifiedfsc.com for our CFSC uh, certification information.
2: Sure. And uh, I'll be honest. I'm awful at social media. If you want to see pictures of my kids, join uh, friend me on Facebook. <laughs> I would say going to SC Strength on Instagram is the best place to kind of learn about what's going on at Springfield College with their graduate program. And that's really, th- those are those are my kids. Those are my babies, right? So my grad students, they are creating great content. Um, and I am quietly behind the scenes cheering them on. And so if you want to learn more about me and what I'm cheering on, go ahead and check that out.
1: Awesome. Thanks for hanging out with me today, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us.